thank you for joining us for the fourth episode in our Board Performance Case Study Series. Hi, I'm Dr. Yvonne Kafik, and in this episode of the Board Checkup, Mr. Morris O'Connor, Chair of the Board of MS Ireland, and Ms. Jacinta Kelly, Vice Chair, join me to discuss the practice of self-assessing board performance using the checkup. The episode begins with important background information on the mission of MS Ireland, characteristics of the organization and board, and changes in the regulatory environment affecting charities in the Republic of Ireland, including a new charities regulator, governance code, and accountability requirements to comply with new governance standards. They share their experience with the process of self-assessing board performance and change in the board from it. Jacinta raises an important research question during the interview about the impact of rules and regulations on board effectiveness. Specifically, does it make boards more effective? Following the interview, I, I answer this question drawing from the research um, from the boards who have assessed performance using the tool, along with lessons learned that make the case of MS Ireland another great board love story. Wonderful. Well, listen, I want to welcome you here this morning, MS Ireland, and um, we have Jacinta Kelly, and we have Morris O'Connor, the, the chair and vice chair of MS Ireland. And the purpose today really is to speak to you, to boards who have used the checkup, about um, the efficacy and impact of, of the tool on uh, the governance and, and leadership of your organization. We are using these interviews to produce a series of case studies that may be helpful to other boards that are considering uh, this practice of online assessment of board performance. So uh, welcome. Uh, Jacinta and welcome Morris. We'll just start with some introductions. Uh, okay. Shall I take it on first? Uh, Go thanks ahead, very Morris, much. Yeah. Thank you very much, Yvonne. Lovely to be with you here today. Um, my name is Morris O'Connor. I live in Kilkenny at the moment in Ireland. I'm from Dublin and I've been involved as a volunteer with MS Ireland since about 2013. I was elected to the board in 2015 and last September, i.e. 2020, I was elected chairperson. Um, my original motivation for getting involved with MS Ireland uh, at all was that uh, one of my brothers had MS. And uh, when I had left employment and uh, became kind of free and easy uh, with my time, I, I thought I should uh, you know, give some of my time and expertise back to something and uh, in the voluntary sector and MS Ireland was an obvious and a very good fit for me. Okay, thanks, Morris. So, um, thank you, Yvonne. I'm, I'm Jacinta Kelly, and um, I'm uh, involved with MS Ireland since 2017. Uh, that's when I joined the board, and then last September, um, Morris talked me into being vice chair. <laughs> that's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. Um, I'm based in Dublin for my sins, and uh, I, I'm also in my own life a, a strategic marketing consultant. So my bias tends to be kind of around the strategy and uh, where the organization is going strategically. Um, so that's a particular interest to me in, in, in my work with MS Ireland. Um, and again, you know, while I didn't have anybody directly impacted uh, with MS, you know, again, I suppose. 
like everybody, you want to kind of give back um, and try to put your, your skills to the higher good. So uh, my journey with MS Ireland has been, I have to say, a great one. Um, I think in this market, we're heavily regulated as charities, and there's a lot of pressure on them. And it's actually quite comforting when you come onto a board and you can actually see all of the, you know, the, the way the different strands of the organization work, uh, which the board assessment is, is quite key to that, to keeping us on check. So uh, my experience has been nothing but good. And I have, I suppose, two years to run um, with, within my board role. So looking forward to, to how we can move forward with this. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being here. Now let's hear about MS Ireland and um, sort of key kind of characteristics of, of your organization and board. Um, well, I suppose if you want to go back to the, to the history of the organization, it was founded originally uh, in a very kind of loose, un, unincorporated way in 1961. Um, and uh, it took till 1998, actually, before we became incorporated as, as a company. But in, in that time, what was happening was that a lot of local support groups were forming in different places all around Ireland um, for, for people with MS and their families and carers to provide mutual support to one another. So that, that, was, that was growing and growing all around the country at the same time as, as was a, a national organization was evolving. So from um, 1998, we were kind of a full national uh, company structured um, organization retaining local um, branches. And um, since then, I suppose the the main things that have happened to us, um, you know, that, that we might see, see and highlight is probably around the whole governance and the regulatory environment, which I'll come back to. But at the moment, um, we, we, we have, uh, as far as we know, uh, approximately 9,000 people in Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland with MS. We suspect actually there may be quite considerably more uh, because of both the, the quality of research data that's around that. We don't actually have a national registry of MS. In Ireland, that's not an unusual situation in the health sector here in Ireland. So we can't be definitive about um, the number of people that we um, serve and support, but we do provide services to anybody with MS who um, approaches us. Uh, we do have a membership of MS Ireland, but it's not necessary to be a member to receive our, any of our services at all. And we're very keen and constant about um, reinforcing that message. Um, within, within Ireland in general, we, we obviously operate here under a whole heap of different um, laws and regulations, I suppose, kind of from the top down or bottom up, depending on which way you look at it. We have uh, a Companies Act uh, from 2014 and its amendments, which dictate uh, how we operate in general terms as a company. Um, we've also then, in, in 2019, we also saw the first uh, legal uh, definition around the roles and responsibilities of charities. We had a Charities Act in 2009. And it has also been amended since then. And that one of the major things it did was to lead to the setting up of a charities regulatory authority. Um, uh, we also now have a kind of a, an increasing, or the start of an increasing trend, I think, of professionalization of the charity sector in Ireland. We have a Charities Institute Ireland. Um, under the Charities Regulatory Authority, we also have a Charities Governance Code, um, which we are kind of obliged by the Charities Regulatory Authority to, to report on every year. Um, apart from that, uh, we also got the, the whole plethora and suite of typical things you would expect to find in any corporate environment, employment laws and regulations, pensions, health and safety, and a whole heap of other, um, I suppose, relevant uh, different uh, legislative um, and regulatory frameworks from around it. Um, one, one other thing which we do, one of the things we do 
is to operate a respite centre in Dublin uh, in to, to which people with MS can come um, for maybe a couple of weeks at a time um, and giving their, their carers and families a bit of respite. Uh, and because of the nature of that centre, it's, uh, it's regulated by an organisation called the Health and Information and Quality Authority, who are an independent authority. And their role is to drive um, quality and safe care for people that use uh, any health and social care services in Ireland. So we're regulated by them as well. That particular aspect of, the, of our operation is regulated by them and uh, very regularly inspected by them as well. So we're subject in different ways to a whole plethora of different uh, rules and regulations. And uh, we operate and provide our services, um, which consist of kind of community work service, um, uh, uh, rehabilitation in terms of health promotion and rehabilitation, particularly in the areas of physiotherapy and yoga and exercise. Uh, we provide the respite service, we provide information, advocacy, um, and uh, uh, some minor, small, I suppose, uh, involvement in research because we're a small organization. Um, we don't have the budget to maybe get involved in fundamental research around MS like we might wish to, um, but hopefully we, we can do that in, in the future at some point. But in the meantime, we're really in, uh, we are actively involved in um, what we call practice-oriented research, which is research around uh, health promotion and health protection and enhancement and rehabilitation. So that's kind of a, this, uh, I suppose, a positive background uh, insight into what MS Ireland is and what we do. How big is your budget? Just to kind of get a sense of the size you do, you have so many programs and services. And... Yeah, uh, well, our, 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 in, our, in our financial statements for 2020, we're reporting a, a total income of um, 5,723,484 5, euro. Okay. So just shy of 6 million euro. Um, now, 2020 was an unusual year for us, obviously, as, as it would be for everybody else because of COVID. So yeah. um, I think our, our in that, that's, that income is probably down on what it would have been for uh, 2019, but it's the same, similar order of magnitude. So talk a little bit about your, your board and your, the governance and some kind of key characteristics of, of your um, board of directors. Um, well, we have, I suppose, to, 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 for, for the, uh, the purposes of putting in place our board and under the, the company's um, legislation here in Ireland, we, we have a, we have a, a constitution um, and our constitution sets out the, the size and nature and the modus operandi of our board. We have, um, and we, we recently, well, that was most recently revised in 2016 um, because we were obliged to do that for, for legal reasons. Um, but our board is currently uh, consisting consists of a maximum of 14 people, which uh, might on the face would seem like quite a large um, board. But, uh, you know, there, there are other charitable organizations who have, who have larger boards, others who have smaller ones. Ours is 14. Um, one component part of our board are three members of our board are elected by what we call our council. And our council is a grouping um, of chairpersons of the individual branches of MS Ireland around the country and they have the right according to our constitution to nominate three members of our board and uh, we've, we've protected that, that right in, throughout any changes we've made to our constitution we think it's very valid that our local membership would have their views represented around the board table. Um, we also have um, and it was right and proper that we do uh, probably not surprising that we have people with MS on our board uh, at the okay. moment four of our board members have MS um, 
And so of our 14, we have four who have MS and three who are nominated by, by, by council. Um, our, our board term is a three-year term, and um, according to our constitution, board members like myself and Jacinta can serve a maximum of three terms, after which we must uh, step aside. So um, and following on from that, we replace uh, a third of our board members every year, a rollover. Now, existing board members like myself have been entitled to stand for re-election, and I've done that already and uh, a few years ago, and I'll be due to do that again this September. And I'm planning to avail of that uh, right to stand for re-election. Um, so we we meet uh, typically about six times a year. Um, we have subcommittees, about uh, six or seven subcommittees. Uh, some of them are the kind of ones you'd expect to have in any corporate environment, like finance, audit, risk, um, uh, nominations and remuneration subcommittees, uh, governance subcommittee. And then we have ones that I suppose align particularly to, uh, to, to what we're doing and what our strategic priorities are. Um, part of our process is um, every year after we kind of have a rollover, I suppose, of our board would be to relook at the, both the, the, the type and composition and membership of our, of our board committees. And uh, we, we bring in volunteers from outside of the board as well to, to, uh, to join those committees. Um, we also have staff that attend them, uh, as you might imagine, and uh, the, the committees tend to meet, um, I suppose, as and when the, the kind of prior organization priorities dictate that they, that they should. They do, we, we don't have a fixed meeting schedule really for committees, whereas we do um, set out in advance uh, typically a fixed meeting schedule for our boards, which is usually starting a calendar year, which usually be February, um, April, May, June, um, September, and then maybe November, December, so we'd have six in, in a year. Um, the boards are all voluntary. We're, we're all volunteers on, on the board. There's no, nobody paid on the board at all. We don't have any director's fees. Uh, we do pay uh, necessary director's expenses if any of our board members want to claim those. Um, we organization, the structure then of the rest of the organization, we have a CEO, a senior management team, um, who would you know cover the usual uh, corporate kind of things, uh, plus also our, our particularly uh, management streams around our services or fundraising, and then we've kind of finance and HR and the like going with that. Um, we're as an organisation, we're funded. Um, I think about seventy percent of our income at the moment, or certainly in twenty twenty, came from state income and grants and other grant type okay. sources and 30% of our income approximately in 2020 came from fundraising. Now that's again, that those percentages are, are, are in a COVID year. So we're, we're probably there were higher percentage of fundraising income in, uh, in 2019, maybe in comparison to our total. So um, that's are the rest from services like fee for service or, or is your completely, um, uh, are your programs free or there is there a, a uh, no we, we we do charge for for some but not not a lot we for the the physiotherapy services for example we run um locally and nationally which have um, predominantly gone online in the last year we we do charge uh, but it's a very small fee so kind of service service fees are not really a substantially significant part of our income stream uh, really, really, it's it's around uh, state supports. We have SLAs with uh, the uh, what's called the Health Services Executive over here, which is Health Delivery Organization, Government Health Delivery Service Delivery Organization. Uh, we have SLAs with them, um, region by region around the country. They provide a large bulk of our income, 
and then okay. we have fund fundraising as well. Okay, um, well, wow. Um, yeah. Talk about a very comprehensive and sounding like a very effective operation. Let me ask you the, the big question, why going back to 2016, what were you, you know, kind of what motivated you to want to um, critically assess your performance um, um, using using our tool? What were kind of the motivations going on at the time? Um, well, I'm, I'll, I'm embarrassing myself now, Yvonne, by saying that uh, to be quite honest with you, I can't remember. Um, no, it was, <laughs> it was the first assessment you did in 2016 was uh, one year after I joined the board, uh, really, I, I can't, uh, I can't remember why, where the, the the suggestion arose. Okay. Uh, but you know, we've cer certainly been part of the process since 2016. Well, um, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned yeah. in 2016 the constitution was revised, and is this the time when the new code came in? And um, um, you you mentioned here that um, you know every year you have to report on whether your the extent to which you're meet you know governing up to code is that correct and um maybe talk a little little bit about that uh well the history of the governance code and feel free to come in and correct me if i'm getting any of this wrong just into i, I think the history of the governance code actually start uh, the current governance code is um defined and monitored by the charities regulatory authority now there was Prior to that, a kind of a voluntary governance code, which was very much had a very similar shape. Um, the current one, I'd say, is, is probably in existence two to three years at most. But prior to that, as, as I said, the voluntary code was was in was in place um, and, and had arisen, I think, out of a collective of organizations uh, of uh, in the non-voluntary or sorry, in the voluntary sector. Um, who kind of collectively realized that this having having such a code would would be of help to the general governance and management and effectiveness of and the trustworthiness and transparency and everything of the, the voluntary sector um, but it, it had no i suppose um uh, teeth behind it or, or kind of mandatory uh, basis or anything like that however it was it was taken over i think as as, as a useful suggestion by the Charities Regulatory Authority and launched then and made into a, a part of their um, their reporting process for, for the, the voluntary sector. Um, probably two, okay. two years ago, I suspect. Yeah, um, it's still, uh, I think, was it this year? I think Jacinta was the first year there was mandatory to fully report on it. I think there was an element of uh, lead into that in in the last year or two, where you could kind of voluntarily choose to uh, to report uh, against it, and, and mm. just use it as a way of of kind of um, making sure that we're you were in a position, your board was in a position to fully report uh, by by about this year. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I suppose you know, kind of generally at the with the environment in the last few years, you know, the whole kind of regulation and government has been so much amplified by many of the scandals, unfortunately, with with charities. So, Indeed. you know, what you know, the, the the few tend to impact all of us, you know, um, and it's just it's unfortunate because you know it often seems even as a board member that a disproportionate amount of your time is kind of focused on kind of governance and check boxes and. You know, and you, 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 you try not to lose sight of it, that the, the heart of it is people. We're, we're really here. We all kind of signed up to be on the board because of people and giving them services, yeah. you know, not to become black belts and governance, you know, and 
and uh, you know all the regulation that goes with it. But unfortunately, it's just you know when you're when you're getting funding um, and you're reliant on funding, it's just a big part of of um, you know making sure that um, you know everything is in place, the structures is in place, and that yeah. also that the public, general public, have confidence in your structures to be you know coming forward with their donations, with their volunteering, and, and all of that. So. It's um, it, it's and I suppose maybe that's even the interesting question to yourself, Yvonne, in terms of doing all of the assessments across the world. You know, do we have a disproportionate amount of regulation and a disproportionate amount of bias on kind of governance and, and those kind of structures versus other charities and other boards? You know, because we're self-assessing, you know, based on our environment. But right. you, know, you also you often wonder, you know, how how is the other charities uh, working and, and how effective are they? And if all of that governance wasn't there, would they be even more effective mm -hmm. in terms of focusing on what really matters? You know, right. Well, those are excellent questions that we do hope to answer and do do, us, you know, collect data around the world on this. So uh, in, in hopefully not too long a time, we'll be able to get back to you on questions like that. Um, but let me, let's just shift into the process now um, of, of assessing, self-assessing, critically assessing uh, board performance. And if you can talk, tell us a little bit about the process, because every board that uses this tool creates their own process around how they carry it out. And uh, mm -hmm. so I'm wondering if you could just share with us what process uh, you have put in place, and has that changed over time? Okay. Um, well, since we started it, the, I suppose the process, as you mentioned, Alice uh, McKeown earlier on, um, the PA to our Chief Executive Officer, Alice has kind of uh, coordinated the, the, pro the administration of the process every year since 2016. Um, typically, we, we've carried this out in early to mid uh, quarter four of the calendar year. And we operate in calendar years. Um, so we should typically circulate the link to the questionnaire to all the board members, um, tell us what the deadline was, and uh, keep um, uh, reminding us, that those of us who are a bit delayed, uh, slower about responding to the, to the questionnaire to actually do so uh, up until the, the time of the, the deadline. And then I, I presume the, uh, the, uh, the response as well, they, they've accumulated with, with yourself, Yvonne, and, and and you, you do your, your part of it. Uh, we get back the reports then, and that, uh, go back, those go back to Alice, and she circulates them. Now, in, um, in the last few years, what we, we've been put in place um, uh, a way of um, looking at the, the reports in, in which the, so certainly when I was uh, deputy chairperson um, a few years ago, um, the chairperson at the time asked me, would I kind of just uh, present back the, the feedback from yourselves, Yvonne, back to our own board? So I took the, the reports and uh, looked at them and picked out the kind of the strengths and challenges and highlighted the scores and uh, prepared really a, just a, a presentation, a 15, 20 minute presentation for our, for our board, which um, I delivered at um, either the last board meeting of a calendar year or the first one of, of the following calendar year. So we've we've done that for the last few years. I did it twice or three times, and uh, Jacinta has done that um, for me uh, with with the last one that we did in 2020. Um, and uh, we we've typically uh, tried to you know there's there's a huge amount of detail, um, and what we tried to do is to lift out of all of that detail 
just uh, particularly not, not so much the snapshot view, but as we've moved on over time, um, where things have changed and particularly maybe where things have changed um, you know, positively and negatively in, in relation to the, uh, in comparison to the previous year. Right. Um, so, and, and we've used that then in ways to, I think, to try and improve our own um, effectiveness. Um, and just to get a general sense of, of uh, where, where we're at and uh, what, you know, what we can, you know, what we're collectively saying are our, our, our strengths and our challenge, more challenging areas. Um, we'd also be uh, on the lookout, I suppose, for some, if there are, or if there have been any outlying views um, expressed um there there is just reflecting on it now in the last i don't know whether, whether this has occurred to you Jacinta or not but reflecting on it in the last uh, few days knowing that we were going to have this conversation i did think that perhaps we it, if it was possible it might if we were doing this again it might be <clears throat> might be better to actually change the timing of it slightly because as I'm, our our um, company agm is on the third weekend in september um so like come the, the first week first week in October, we have um, a number of new board members and we we then circulate this um, survey. So, of course, that means we could have two, three, four board members who really have only um, had their feet under the table for a number of short number of weeks. Um, so actually carrying out do, doing the survey, um, maybe towards the tail end of a summer uh, where, where board members have been in place for at least a year, the newest ones might actually um, be a better thing for us to do. Um, that was just one, one thought that I have. But the same, the, I think the process of, of um, we would probably retain uh, in, in terms of how to go about doing it and what we would, how we would go about maybe sharing the results with, uh, with board members. They all have access to the, the full detail of the thing anyway. Um, but in terms of discussing it around the board table, uh, as I say, we've taken the, 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 the the practice that the, the deputy chairperson at the time will um, take the, the detailed reports, uh, look at it and extract any key messages that uh, she and Jacinta's case or me in previous years uh, would, would feel are most relevant to us. So um, that's, that's what we've done. So you've done this four times. So starting in 2015, yeah. 17, 18, and most recently in February, 2020, which was a very significant month for everybody, I guess, around yeah, the world. Yeah. And we, we did do it in 2019 as well, I think. Okay. Um, I don't know, are we missing yeah. a year? I think we certainly did four retakes. So 17, oh, okay. 18, so 19, and 20. Yeah. Okay. You did it five times. So yeah. let's talk about, did any change result? And if yes, where, where was, what kind of changes um, uh, did you make? And, and, and how did the board engage in that, those decisions? Um, well, when I think uh, just again thinking about that question the last few days, um, and you, you can follow on just into if there's anything that particularly mm. springs to mind for you. But there would be three things that I would point to as examples. Maybe um, one one of the, the things where we had uh, going back a few years had noticed a challenge was around our board meeting agendas being too full of operational details. Okay. Uh, and not having enough time for strategic considerations. Um, now the, the last. Uh, uh, in, in the time of the previous chairperson um, and myself as deputy chairperson and Jacinta having joined the board at that time as well, we, we did put some effort into restructuring our, our agendas um, and not only the, agenda, the agendas and their timings and 
but also the kind of um, supporting documentation that uh, would be presented to the board by the CEO. Um, we, we introduced a permanent, you know, on every agenda time slot for discussing items of strategic importance, you know, to make sure that we wouldn't lose sight of that. Um, we also then um, introduced at the suggestion of one of our other board members who's, um, who's a senior uh, HR um, uh, manager in, in a in large corporate over here, um, introduced a few minutes at the start of, our, of every agenda just to, to reflect on some case studies um, that were given descriptions of um, by our CEO. And we look at two usually about two case studies of basically the lives of people with MS, every single, uh, every single board agenda. Um, so, you know, they, we would be just getting and leaving it really to mostly to the CEO to, to source those for us. Um, there was a, there were, I think there was one recently where we have a team of bloggers who write stuff for us on, on, on very on social media platforms. And we thought we'd take kind of an insight from one of those, uh, one of our more recent board meetings, but in general, uh, the CEO will tell us, and she'll solicit um, those from our community workers. So we get stories of people with them, uh, their, their real lives and the lived experience on, you know, all, warts and all really of, of people with them as, uh, to start our board meetings with. So that gets, that really focuses us back on, on what Jacinta's um, point was about, you know, not getting sucked into just spending all our time with, with the corporate governance side of things and the finance and everything, but really kind of really uh, reflecting all the time on who we're there to serve. Okay, and so, so that that um, that that came in 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 uh, in the last few years. Um, um, another one uh, was was the, the the role and responsibility of board members in relation to fundraising. Um, that was that was mentioned as as uh, uh, as one of the more challenge uh, challenging areas or subtopics for us um, a few a few years ago as well. Um, this, I suppose, I, I don't know. Do I need to explain maybe the difference, uh, the attitude to to non to, to the voluntary sector and boards and uh, yeah. fundraising? And there's it's a it's a quite a different culture over here in Ireland than it may be over in in the United States or, or Canada. Um, you know, they, there is certainly people don't get invited onto the boards um, while at the same time being asked to write a check or expected to like make large donations or anything like that that's not typically part of the culture here in Ireland and it's certainly not within MS Ireland but at the same time on the flip side of that was that there was quite a lack of clarity around uh, and there's there no there were, yeah it, it just wasn't clear like what expectation the organization had of, of our board members in relation to fundraising um, and therefore they had led to a bit of confusion I suppose uh, so we, we did uh, the, the previous chairperson uh, did draft up a, a paper setting out what expect, expectations there, there might be. And that was uh, discussed and agreed by the board. And uh, really, I suppose the best way of, of um, it's also, by the way, circulated to uh, prior to any, anybody joining the board to, to all nominate, nominees for board okay. membership. So they would know up front where we, we stand as a board on this. Um, it's, it really sets out, I suppose, a menu of possible levels of involvement um you know we we'd be quite happy for board members if they wish to make donations directly themselves or um you know to so, some board members might do that from time to time others might uh, just wish to sit in the background and maybe support uh, our fundraising activities and promote them through their own social media channels or through their their um their uh, professional connections uh, wherever they may be they may be working um 
or some of them may you know agree to actually you know take part in fundraising challenges and um, is mm -hmm. something you know small and easy from the kind of thing that's come along in recent years like facebook um, fundraiser personal facebook fundraisers to um uh, you know being part of maybe large uh, fundraising uh, corporate type style events whatever um, so there's basically this, this document which we agreed around the board table is it kind of sets out the, the possibilities uh, for uh, participation and our support and our support of our fundraising activities so it, it clarifies the thing I don't, don't think it, it, it's not pushing any board member in any particular direction in relation to uh, support or involvement in fundraising um, but, but and I don't think it particularly changes our, our culture either but I think it does it has clarified the, the position um, and it's probably uh, like a lot of things it's probably a bit of a compromise but uh, it, it, it did achieve a certain effect another one uh, more recently um, which was Jacinta was very centrally involved in was uh, was putting in place our current uh, 2020 to 2024 strategic plan okay. um, now we did have a previous strategic plan but um, I think the, the the big improvement with this one is that we have not just uh, put it in place but um, and identified its key objectives and initiatives, but we've also made sure and tried progressively to work on ensuring that um, reporting to the board is done uh, against uh, directly against the the strategic objectives and initiatives of the strategic plan. So on a, on on a on a year to year basis of our business plans and the reporting of the CEO and all the rest is done directly aligned uh, with that. And the, we, we try and make sure that whatever we are doing um, you know, uh, is, is aligned with our strategic priorities. So we don't you know, you know, just drift off into doing things because somebody thinks it's, a, it's an urgent priority or something that we should be doing or we haven't done before. Um, so uh, I don't know, there, there are three anyway examples I can think of. Is there anything else that occurred to you, Jacinta? Well, no, I think you've covered them well. I mean, I think broadly, we were always in the green zone. So we were always mm. effective. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. I often wish we were in the orange zone, because then you could point to something, well, there is a glaring gap, we need to focus on that. But, you know, I mean, you know, fundamentally, you know, it was always just kind of tweaks. And, uh, you know, as Morris was saying, mm. just kind of looking at ways to make ourselves more effective. But I, I think one of the things that, you know, struck me in the last assessment um, and I think it's still on the table because, you know, given the whole background there around how our board is structured, how our committees are structured, you know, one of the challenges is also getting equity of time mm -hmm. and, you know, people to kind of contribute is, you know, obviously what they can, when they can, but, you know, also we need them to be effective. So it's not just being effective at the board meetings, but it's also being an effective board member. And then it comes to a question of, we haven't quite defined, you know, well, what is an effective board member in terms of mm -hmm. your contribution? You know, mm -hmm. so, okay, fine, you know, you turn up for six meetings of the year. Yes, you participate on the committees, but I think it's fair to say that maybe some have more time to be able to participate than others. Um, and you're trying to find that balance between the balance between getting, you know, you know, good, you know, strong people that may have a profile in the market because it also helps with the image of, of MS Ireland, mm. but then also finding board members who are able to, you know, contribute as we need them to contribute to really kind of move the dial for the organization's tool is not going to help us to address that we need. Okay, okay well, well, tell me about some of those things that... Um, so, so it sounds like the tool has been helpful in surfacing um, some issues around clarity of the board's role, for example, in fundraising, yeah. in helping to 
um, clarify the board's role in strategic planning and maybe a more engaged approach and linking that plan to performance assessment and the board really um, organizing itself around um, that. So performance assessment isn't once every three years or every five, it's actually ongoing. Um, and then around the contributions and engagement of your board members in governance. Um, what, what are kind of some of the lessons learned through this? Um, and then finally, what, what advice would you have for other boards considering it? Um, well, certainly if I could start, um, if I could start with the first one, like uh, any other boards who haven't, and actually I did, um, I did have a approach from my sister who's involved in some um, voluntary boards, and um, I, I suggested this tool to her, um, but um, uh, and the advice I'd have is to like, just do it, absolutely do it, um, because you know, for a, for any board, um, if if we're not stopping to take the time to consider ourselves and our effectiveness as a group as a board, um, we're we're completely missing an opportunity to for our organisation to be more successful. Um, so I think it's essential, really, to to do it. And that's that's what I'd say to anybody else asking me: Is this something we should do or not? Absolutely, yes, it is. Just go and do it, and and. Uh, You'll, you'll, you know, uh, you'll, when you have to make a multi-annual commitment to it, because it's really trends rather than picture snapshots in time, I think that are as important as one another. Um, sorry, what was one of the other things you asked me, Yvonne? Well, you know, just about the process, mm. you know, of um, assessing and change and making change and, you know, what kind of expectations should new boards set around this? New boards. Well, well, I think for us, I I would like to see that we that we would be able to put our hands in our hearts and say that we are constantly working towards working to be a better collective as a board. Because um, if they if we I think if we if we took the foot off the pedal in that regard, um, I think the the natural consequence would be that we'd start to slip backwards. And uh, that, you know, that would be something that we, we certainly, I certainly wouldn't like to see happen with our board. I think it would be, be a very um, negative thing. So I, I think it is good to try and keep working on where are there areas that we can improve on and whatever different dimensions. And um, I suppose there's so many dimensions as your study in, in, leads to uh, of the, in the operation of a board um, that it's, it's good um, to have a structured way of, of highlighting which are the most um, you know the most impactful or potentially impactful areas of of, uh, of strength and challenge to to identify and work on. And mm. so I think it's good. Um, you know, I'd like you know we've we've done this as you say, like we've had the initial one and four um, retakes or five years, and it, now um, I, I don't mind, mind saying to Ron will be one of the times coming into this or before we even had before we even made contact in relation to this conversation. I I've been starting to think about. You know, okay, what way do we take this continuous board self-assessment forward? You know, um, is there still potential in doing the self-assessment the exact same way uh, and looking at its outputs the same way? Is there something different we can do? Um, the fact that we're constantly putting ourselves in the green zone, are we being too kind to ourselves? Do we need, do, do we need some, something of a more gentle but severe challenge in a way 
um, to, to see are we are we really as, as kind of high performing or as effective as we think we are? Or how do we even, or is there another way to, to measure that or to tie our sense of effectiveness to the outcomes that our organization achieves? Um, mm. You know, there's there's those sort of considerations that I've, I've been kind of thinking about and sharing with, with Jacinta in the last, uh, since certainly since uh, the last assessment that, that we did and since the discussion we had on it at the board. So. Uh, but I would, I would be the last person to suggest that we need to stop doing this because we don't. We need to keep doing something of a, of a self-assessment in some way. Mm. You know, yeah, I, I like the idea yeah. of um, broadening it out, though. I think you know that yeah. we try to get that 360 feel for it. Um, and I suppose you know, I, I maybe to have somebody you know that's independent come in and because as Mars was saying, we we tend to do the presentation ourselves and we kind of share the results and we just have a conversation, but you know maybe we should look to try and put more of a structured i don't know away day or away morning even you know just to kind of have somebody to come in and have some breakouts to to discuss it you know and, and to get down and dirty as to okay if we're going to you know take some priorities as to what we want to focus on for the following year to improve or change uh, even if we are in the green zone what would they be so you know right. just just to use it more you know mm -hmm. rather than becoming because it, i have a feeling that it's starting to fall into a checkbox exercise in, in terms of our governments you know that we do the the review so but yes excellent conversation it sounds to me like you are fully engaged on the governance side and those are really that's those are really great um questions to be having about mm -hmm. using it because it isn't just a checkbox no it's a no. diagnostic um, that just surfaces things that you may not be aware of or um, and the way it's framed um, as issues that exist or don't in the perspective the more people that participate the more likely you're going to surface the very challenges that you want to talk about so you know so you can involve other people so maybe think about that um, for the next one and make some of the changes you sounded like it's often just little tweaks, right? As you get more experience with it. And, um, um, but yeah, bringing in development experts, but still owning this yourselves. Um, and what we're seeing is that leadership is developing at the governance level. There are multiple leaders and sources and levers of leadership now that are available to the organization, which I think makes succession planning much easier um, you know, bringing people in and, and, and then, um, you know, like you say, there's a limited number. So you really want to maximize the leadership on your board. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so any other advice you'd give to boards considering, uh, using the checkup or about governance assessment in general? Um, personally, no. As I said, if anybody hadn't used it before, I'd say absolutely do. Um, use yeah. it. It's great. It'll work for you. Um, and it, it needs a few years of, of doing it consistently to see. Um, maybe kind of think about the timing, um, you know, when is the most effective time of the year to do it. Um, there, there is another aspect of things you, you might have an insight into yourself, Yvonne, around there's, there's a certain kind of or, organic kind of dynamic around the board where you know, you've got, uh, particularly with ours, and it's related to our constitution, our setup, I mentioned like three, three-year terms. So you'll have people like me who'd be going into their seventh year of being on the board. 
Yeah. Um, out, of, out of nine, uh, we have a couple of we'll have a few new board members uh, coming on in September and, and a mix of everything in between. So you've got those who are absolutely brand new to the board. And typically, I think um, the, the culture would be certainly I would I, I would suspect that, you know, some people would kind of sit back and see how things are for a while before, you know, they really kind of come to the fore. Um, and then as maybe as, as people get into kind of the length of time of seven, eight, nine years on the board, there's, there's an assumption of kind of nearly you know, knowing, knowing it all or not quite necessarily tiredness, but maybe losing a little bit of uh, energy for it or, you know, you know, kind of really willingness to kind of engage in challenge as much as they might have done in the middle period. So there's that, I think there's that optimum time after certainly well after having uh, the first year on the board and before spending too long on the board that maybe is, is the absolute right time for for people to really uh, understand the nature of the organization in, in in sufficient depth to be able to challenge and um, and uh, provide and be at their most effective as as a board member right. then underlying that is the whole challenge which um again is you know, going back to the, the nature of voluntary boards, uh, the time that, that uh, Jacinta mentioned is the time and uh, the, like the ability to participate is one thing where we have to like try and find our board members as, uh, and find people that are able to participate and have the right kind of skills. And that's something we, we try to do. But the, the ability to put in the kind of time that um, it sometimes needs um, can be, be quite challenging. I mean, I'm very fortunate in that I don't work for a living anymore. So Mm -hmm. I've, I've got plenty of time on my hands and I do things because of the time to do it and I want to um, just interworks um, most of the rest of our boards are, are working so you know their their time is is limited right. and and that's a challenge I think for participation in boards and committees and it's also a challenge for um, for succession planning because um, you know it, it won't be any secret to Jacinta that you know it does take uh, certainly as, as a chairperson um, it does take quite a lot of time um, and I realized that with the previous chairperson as well, because her her professional work commitments were were such that um, she was you know decreasingly able to put in the time that it, it needed uh, as as her period as chairperson uh, moved on. So there's there there are those challenges as well that you know that that, that aren't aren't often recognised maybe in, in a more when you know comparing with a more corporate type of board where everybody's there and they're paid directors and all the rest. Right, mm -hmm. right, for sure. Yeah. So the so, voluntary sector has its unique challenges yeah, yeah, in that yeah, regard. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Jacinta? Um, I, I mean, I suppose for me, I, the advice I would give is, you know, just kind of go into these things where kind of, I'm, I'm personally, I'm always looking to improve. So, you know, although you're kind of doing this assessment, as a group yeah. you are looking for ways to well how can I step up my game and what do I need to do and you know you also have to be conscious about assessment and you know you just you know you, you just need to be kind of careful not to kind of dig in so that if, <laughs> if there's if, if the word strategy for example comes up you know my ears would prick up to say oh what's is there is there a gap that we have there so you're, you're just always trying to be looking at this from it's it's you know it's, it's how to make us overall um, better performers more effective uh, that it's and not to lose sight that it is for the good of the organization i know yes it's all around governance but ultimately it's for the the good of the organization and that's what i get back from it you know that you know 
uh, yes, I work and yes, this is voluntary, but you know, you learn lots. You're, you know, you're, mm. you're working with people from a lot of different sectors. We have people on our board from banking, from legal, you know, from all walks of life. And it's incredibly rewarding in that way. And it's also incredibly humbling when you see the output of, you know, your work. Yes, we're in a board, we're locked away, but when you see what's happening at the front line, it's incredibly mm. rewarding that way. Those kind of things don't necessarily come into the assessments, but you know, you're just also trying to hold that in your mind's eye as well as to what are we here for at the end of the day? What are we doing all of this? Um, and that's ultimately what what I you know get out of it too. So although it, it can be quite an investment in time, it's also incredibly reward, rewarding. Hmm. So I, I would first say to anybody, join a board if you can and embrace everything that comes with it, the assessments, the governance, any learning opportunities, because it, it is kind of incredibly rewarding that way. Well, on one positive note here, another positive note, we do see that the perceived value of director contributions increases with this process. So directors are getting more clear about their roles and the value of their contributions to the mission, just as you're saying. So we see that increasing over time. So um, th this is other information we, we really do need to make available to you all. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day, Jacinta, and as well, Morris, um, and sharing MS Ireland with us and um, your experiences. And, uh, you know, we're so grateful um, to, to, be, to, to participate with you in this journey, even though we're kind of in the background. We are keeping tabs. And um, we look forward to sharing um, your story with you and, and you can share it with your communities and then with other boards that really are seriously considering um, uh, improvement through a practice like performance assessment. What can be learned from the experience of MS Ireland with the practice of board performance assessment? Like the experience of other boards, there are important lessons to be learned from this case. With regard to the question Jacinta raised about whether more regulation translates into more effective governance, our research shows that when compliance is the primary motivation for board performance assessment, boards are less likely to change governance behavior and practice following it. This doesn't mean that regulation has no effect. It is a significant factor in boards choosing to adopt the practice, which is associated with board effectiveness over time. This leads me to lessons I took away from the experience of MS Ireland with regard to getting the most value out of the practice of performance assessment. Lesson one. Go beyond compliance with governance standards. Consider setting a goal for the assessment and priorities for board change based on the results generated from it. To quote Jacinta, don't let it become a checklist to demonstrate standards, but an opportunity for board reflection and development. Lesson two. The second lesson is to go beyond the board in assessments of performance, to include management and staff who interact with the board and others who have an important perspective to share on the board's performance. Lesson three, allow enough time to review results, 
to take a deeper dive on the most salient issues that emerge, whether that is allowing more time in a regular meeting of the board, organizing a special meeting, or a retreat. Anything that allows the board to think strategically about its own performance, set priorities for change, and assign responsibility to individuals and groups who are responsible for them. Lesson four, involve others who have expertise to share or bear in the implementation of board change and development work. This can include consultants, board members, staff, anyone who can help the board make meaningful change. So what about those elements that make the case of MS Ireland another great board love story? Passion. The, the mission was the passion of this organization. It was the heart of MS Ireland. And this was evident in the change the board made to include case studies in, to connect board members to the mission at the start of every board meeting. Protagonists. The board chair and the vice chair worked tirelessly and collaboratively. They did not adopt the practice blindly. They asked important questions and they played to their strengths and interests and were an effective team. Timing. They considered the needs of board members in the timing of board performance assessment, specifically the need to move it later in the year to allow more time for director orientation and engagement in the governance process. This action reflected the value of being attentive and responsive to director needs. Suffering. I think you could really feel the weight and the pain of the changes in the regulatory environment in Ireland on the board and organization in the interview. Match. MS Ireland did a really good job of navigating all those regulatory changes and meeting them strategically, aligning plans with performance and filling gaps in knowledge and services to meet the needs of individuals and families affected by MS in the Republic of Ireland. Thank you for joining us. And if you would like today's podcast, we would appreciate if you would subscribe, share it with other boards in your network, and leave a review, especially if you liked it. Feel free to leave comments and questions about the board in this, co- in this podcast or boards of directors in general that you would like us to explore in future episodes. And if you have any suggestions for me, please feel free to reach out using the contact information. Thanks for joining us.